Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman Podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either, but in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman Podcast Studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast get ad-free episodes starting at Tier 5 on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Carrie Giesbrecht. From stilettos to rubber boots, Carrie was born and raised as a city girl that turned a whole lot of country thanks to her husband. Her farm is everything high maintenance, as her husband likes to call it. Carrie has all of the animals. She runs a U-Pick veggie garden in the summer, makes livestock feed for not only her farm, but others as well, runs a farmer's market in the summer months and on-farm events. And in her not-so-much-downtime, she helps her husband with his grain farm operation. According to Carrie, she doesn't sleep much, drinks far too much coffee, but she loves what she does even on the hard days way better than going to her old nine to five job in downtown Edmonton. I am very excited for you to get to meet Carrie and learn her story. But before we get to that, let's go over this week's listener review. This week's five-star rating and review is from Karen at Wolf Creek Family Farm via Apple Podcast, and it is titled Relatable and Informative. Caitlin interviews so many amazing women in agriculture from all over. Everyone has their own story of how they started or were dragged kicking and screaming into agriculture, and each is unique. It's nice to hear the true stories behind how women are working in every aspect of agriculture, and Caitlin is absolutely enamored with each of them. Such a delight. Well, thank you so much to my friend and fellow podcaster, Karen, for leaving such a nice rating and review over on Apple. And my friends, if you have not left a listener review where you listen to the Rural Woman podcast, I would really appreciate if you would. And you could hear your kind words on an upcoming episode of the show. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Carrie. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing so well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman Podcast today. I am really excited to chat with you and get to know you better. I feel like we've known each other over on the Instagram for some time now, and uh, I'm excited to get to hear from you and for my audience to get to know you. Fantastic. I'm excited to be here. For the listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Carrie, give us your background and how you got your start in agriculture. So my name is Carrie Giesbrecht. I own and operate Little Riley Farms up in the Camrose Central Alberta area. 
how did I get my start in farming? It was way back when, when I was young, I met my husband in oil and gas and we had been dating a couple months when oil and gas took a dive and he decided he was going to move to Manitoba and go farm with his uncle. He looked at me and he goes, so you can come with me or this is just over. And being 20 at the time, and we knew a layoff was coming. I just kind of said, okay, let's do it. Let's jump full force into it and move to Manitoba and jumped into green farming. I am a born and raised city girl, grew up in the suburbs, high heels, pencil skirts. That was my thing. So name brand everything. So going out to the middle of nowhere in Manitoba was quite the leap for us there. We farmed out there for about five years. It was a grain and cattle operation. So when we left, there was 12,000 acres of grainland and 400 head of cattle is what we had. Uh, we farmed with his aunt and uncle out there. And then my husband wanted to pursue his flying a little bit more. So, and I was pregnant with our son at the time. And so we decided to move back to Alberta. So that's closer to our immediate families. So my immediate family is here and so is his. And so we came back to Alberta and we moved to the city and we got back into city life. And within six months, this city girl was like, mm, I need the country again. So then the hunt started trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we were going to just do acreage life. That's to eat something the one day. And I grabbed an apple off the apple tree and I said, here's an apple. And he goes, that's not the same as the grocery store. Uh, what? I was like, it's an apple. And he's like, yeah, but it looks different. I want the grocery store apple. And that didn't fly with us. So I called up my husband and said, this kid needs to learn where food actually comes from. And so, yeah, so we just, I kind of told him and we decided we were going to grab seven chickens and learn where eggs come from and where some meat comes from. And I said, but he also needs to learn how things grow. And so my husband decided to pull out his tractor and rip up our entire front yard on our acreage and said, here's your garden plot. Get to work. Teach the kid where, where the food comes from. <laughs> and yeah, so that year it was a family project. And so we had seven hens and we had a 30 by 50 foot garden and it just kind of blew up. We had way too many veggies, way too many eggs. We had the hens. And then people were asking us, how do we get our hands on this? And so we just kind of saw a business opportunity and started to slowly expand. The next year, we moved to a bigger property. So we went from just under four acres to a property of 17 acres and a three-acre garden with nearly 300 hens. And all of a sudden, I jumped into sheep. We're really not sure how that started. <laughs> And then in this last year, so again, we made a move again this year to a bigger property, added more sheep, we're adding in horses and yeah. So we're just doing all the things and just keep on going. <laughs> that is amazing. And there are so many things to dive into and so many things that we have similar stories with of being born and raised in town or in a city. And good for you for following your gut or your heart or whatever it was that made you go all the way to Manitoba. That's a long, that's a long ways away from, from here in Alberta. <laughs> it's a totally different way of living out there, I swear. Yes. No offense to anybody who is, you know, joining us from Manitoba today, but uh, 
No, there's some amazing people, but it's just it. The winters are definitely yeah. colder out there. The summers are way hotter than here. You can definitely have a little bit more of a mild climate here. Yeah, Manitobans are like the epitome of a pure Canadian because they deal with it all. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> So tell me more about what it was like for you, I guess, from going from this city life and having a job in oil and gas to going to more of a lifestyle that, you know, is completely different. It's a slower pace in some regards and a faster pace in others. What was that like for you? Uh, Daunting at first. I'm a person that takes on adventure pretty easily. I don't just tiptoe into any sort of adventure. If I get given an opportunity, I usually dive headfirst into it. So going to Manitoba was, it was a hard one. It, it's one thing to go to a space that's, you have 10 cows, but when you have 400 head of cattle and you have massive farm equipment, like the biggest piece of equipment I'd ever driven was, oh my gosh, a pickup truck. And we were driving these massive seed rigs and sprayers and learning to run massive backhoes and cats and pushing over bush. It's just, you're on a whole different level with farming out there at that caliber. You had to dive in. It was a lot of long days. You definitely noticed just the length of day. So you go out sun up to sundown in the summertime. In the wintertime, it's sun up to sundown and the days... They still feel really long because they're cold, but they're so short and there's only so much you can do. We always laugh and we've always taken everything as an adventure. The very first three weeks, my husband said to me, this is obviously before we were even married. He says, if you could handle the first three weeks on this farm, I think you'll be okay. The first three weeks, everything went wrong. He left me in the bush with the cattle. We were moving cattle and he left me in the bush and it was pitch black. And all I hear is coyotes and cows staring at me. I was a girl who was crying in the field, like just a blubbering idiot. As I was walking back, I'm like, where did he go? He left me. No, he didn't. He came back. He got me. He found me. He just lost where I was. That's just how big the fields were. Yeah, we just had so many things break down. It's been an adventure, to say the least. Oil and gas working at a desk is much easier, but it's not as fun. Yeah, for sure. Well, I want you to go back to that time within that first three weeks or thereafter, you know, it's really intimidating, these big pieces of equipment and the machinery and all of the things. And like you said, you went from a pickup truck to having to drive a bobcat or a tractor or whatever it was. For the people that are listening today who have that fear, what's your piece of advice for them of getting over that fear and actually being able to operate that equipment? Take things slow. Take it one step at a time and trust your gut. The wor- the biggest thing is like, if at any point you're like, I'm not so sure I know what I'm doing, just stop and think. Uh, that was one of the biggest things that my husband taught me in running any of the machinery and learning how to run it is just don't overthink it. The machinery is only controlled by you. So if you make it do it, it will do it. If you don't make it do it, it's just going to stop and sit there and so are you. So it's just take it slow one step at a time and take it at your own pace. Do not expect that you will be able to operate the machine 
as fast as the next guy or the guy that's been operating it for years. Right. Yeah. And that is a really solid piece of advice is to just stop and wait. I can't tell you how many times I've sat in a field for God knows how long waiting for the next instruction because it is my fear to break anything. So... Absolutely. I don't, and I always say, I don't want to break anything because I don't want to be the one that has to fix it. I don't do the fixing. Yeah. I don't know how to fix it. So I don't want to be responsible to make somebody who does know how to fix it, stop what they're doing and come and fix what I screwed up. So I am here for the advice of just sit and wait for further instructions if you're not (laughs) 100% sure. Unless you know how to fix it and unless you have the funds to do it, just sit and wait. (laughs) Just sit and wait because you can make it so much worse. Yes, for sure. So let's get back to your current day farm. You have made many moves and have expanded your operation in relatively a short amount of time. What is the goal that you are trying to accomplish on your farm right now? Our biggest goal on the farm is to connect community to where their food comes from, show people where it actually comes from and that they can ask all the questions and us farmers aren't hiding anything. We are more than happy to be completely transparent on where your food comes from. And if you have questions, just ask. So a lot of our social platforms are used simply to help show the good, the bad, and the ugly is what we always say. Yesterday, we were digging up broken water lines. That's never a fun job, but it's something that happens on the farm in the middle of winter. Or the lambing experience, being able to show people that this is where their food comes from and us farmers that, yes, I raise the lambs for meat. They are born on our farm and delivered to the processor by us ourselves. And they're loved on dearly every single day. Is it easy for us? No, but we also like to eat meat at the same time. And so taking ownership and responsibility for it, and we're going to care for those animals and love on them the whole time that they're in our care. And they are there for a purpose. And just like everything else on our farm, I guess minus the horses. Those are more of a fun thing. But everybody on our farm is here for a purpose, even our dogs and our peacocks and stuff like that. So that is so great. Well, tell us about everything that is on your farm. You've, you know, you just brushed over this peacock thing. And uh, I don't know if I've had (laughs) many people on uh, on the podcast that do have peacocks. So break it down. What's everything that is on your farm that is there for that purpose? And again, what's what are those extras that are there just for fun? So our sheep are new. They We are only in our second season for our sheep. So we have our ewes and our rams on the farm. We have the Katahdin Dorper crosses is what we don't want. I didn't want to have to shear them. So that's why we picked a hair sheep. They are here strictly for meat. So we do Breeding in the late fall, so November, December, and then we lamb in April or May, depending on if the ram snuck in a little early or not. That was our case this year. We do have laying hens on our property, so they lay eggs all year round for us, the farm fresh eggs. We have a flock of about 270 right now. In the summertime, we do bring in the broiler chickens. They are for meat processing and we only run them through the spring, summer and fall. We will cap out at about 1200 this year for them. 
We have two peacocks on the property. They are for predator control. So they actually, if there's a predator around the area, like a coyote or a wolf, they will actually see it. They will fly to the treetops and they actually make call noises. These call noises actually trigger the chickens to run inside their coop, which is actually pretty fascinating. You think it's something you would have to teach. No, they just totally do it on their own. We also have a livestock guardian dog on the farm as well. He's there to protect all the livestock. So whether it is the chickens or the sheep or even our dogs, for the most part, he has the biggest bond with our sheep. So when the peacocks make a call, he will do a quick run of the pen of where the chickens are. And then he actually runs over to his sheep to make sure all of his sheep are good and safe. We also have two horses on the property. They are for our son and his equestrian 4-H program that he is participating in this year. And then we also have in the summertime our vegetable you pick. So we plant in a variety of vegetables and have the space available where people can come out and pick their own veggies. They can come visit all of the animals and then they can check out the farm store as well, where we feature a lot of locally produced products outside of just our own. That sounds like there are so many things going on on your farm all of the time. It sounds like it is a very busy place to be on Little Riley Farm. (laughs) It is super busy. We try and spread out as much as we can on the farm so that the workload's not all just in the summer so that we, that's why. And I really just love the animals. Let's be honest. Right. All the animals. (laughs) I don't know if you could ever get away from city people going to a farm and not like obsessing over or being like in love with livestock and animals on a farm. I don't know many people who have made the transition similar to us that have the opposite feelings of that. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Like you just, you just don't have access to that in the city. Like to have access to, and I always think it's super funny that I can grab a feed bucket and shake it. And it doesn't matter where I am in the yard. All the animals are going to their fences to see me. And I was like, look at, they all love me. My husband always laughs and says, no, they don't love you. They love the food. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. (laughs) So it sounds like from the offerings that you have on the farm, you are really community focused and sharing your story with the general public. What are some of the reactions that you've had from your local community about the offerings on your farm and what you're able to provide them? We've had an outpouring of support on our farm. We haven't been able to expand as fast as we have without them. They've been amazing. But at the same time, we try and give back to them as much as we can. So I know in the, I think we're two weeks away, we do a lot of community events where we open the doors and we try and get people to just come out and hang out and enjoy farm life because we don't all have access to that. And so, yeah, in two weeks, we have our Christmas event happening on the farm where we'll have hay rides and bonfire and just people can come and hang out and see what it's like to just live and take down from the city hustle and bustle of Christmas and just kind of enjoy the peace on the farm and just hang out with the animals. That is so important is the slowing down part. And I think us in agriculture have a really hard time even doing that ourselves. 
So being able to offer that to others as well as partaking in that yourself. I know it's a lot of work planning an event and running an event, but being able to kind of slow down with the rest of everyone there and really acknowledge that this time spent on the farm can be a relaxing thing if you let it be. Yes, absolutely. Revolution Wool Company, connecting you to authentic, 100% pure Canadian wool goods grown and milled in Canada. Revolution Wool Company's goal is to connect you to authentic Canadian wool products and the story behind them. Their wool is simple and straight from the source. They don't add or take away anything, so the wool that you enjoy is in its purest form. Grown and milled in Canada, starting at Circle R Farm, a family sheep farm in Ontario, caring for the sheep and harvesting the wool, that then heads to Canadian Processors, where they are able to offer a wide range of products including wool yarns, bedding, blankets, pillows, felted items, and handmade goods. Listeners of the Rural Woman podcast can save 10% off their purchase by using the promo code RURAL, that's R-U-R-A-L, at checkout. To learn more, head to revolutionwoolco.com to grab your Canadian woolly goods from Revolution Wool Company, or by heading to the link in today's show notes. So Carrie, what are some future plans for you and your farm? Future plans right now is we want to get more into the community events and really featuring them. We are going to gear ourselves towards doing a couple farm to table events on the farm here. More of the simplicity of dinner on the farm and enjoying it around the animals. We also are expanding our sheep flock. So our goal, I think right now is to hit 150 breeding ewes within the next five years and we want to just become more more streamlined with our vegetables and teaching people how to deal with the locally produced products and that you can preserve them and eat them all year. One of our big comments that we're getting right now is that Food is just really, really expensive, especially in the grocery store. And absolutely, food can be expensive in the grocery store. But if you pick it during high season and you learn ways to preserve it, you have the ability to make your dollar go a lot further. It's the same thing with buying meat products. If you buy a half a cow or a quarter of a cow or half a lamb or a whole lamb, you're stretching your dollar a lot further you just have to think a little bit differently and you can't just go to the grocery store and grab whatever it is that you want to eat. You're just going to dig to the bottom of your freezer and find what you're going to eat. That is so true. And I think it's so interesting. And, you know, we are recording this now in the beginning of December, 2021. And I think we are just starting to see the rise of the prices that will happen, you know, at least in 2022 and maybe beyond, you know, it was a hard growing year for farmers and meat prices have been all over the place. And I think it's been an interesting shift in mindset since, you know, the beginning of 2020 and when there was no food in the grocery store or limited food. 
people had to make decisions of spending their money differently or thinking about feeding themselves differently than I think we've ever had to do in the past. And, you know, like you said, moving forward, thinking of your dollar differently and how you're able to stretch that. And if you're buying things that are at a higher dollar amount now, but if you're using them differently, if you have the freezer space for a half a cow or a quarter of a cow, you know, in the long run, how much are you saving uh, then rather than just going to the grocery store and buying whatever it is you're going to eat that night for dinner or that week for dinner versus having the stock at home and ensuring that you're going to have this food for, you know, a prolonged period of time. Absolutely. And even with the vegetables, a lot of people don't understand that you have the ability to do either freezer or canning or cold storing a lot of your vegetables. You can pickle your vegetables. And it's been a lost art. I think there's a couple generations there that nobody was doing it because the convenience was available at the grocery store. But understanding that that convenience can be taken away quite easily right now is an interesting aspect that we're learning. And so it's a lost art that I think a lot of people are willing to look into and get to be a part of again. For sure. Is canning and preserving something that you did growing up or is this all new to you? No, my mom always did canning and preserving. And so even though we lived in the city, we would go, like if we went to the Okanagan and went camping for two weeks, we would bring home flats of peaches and we would spend an entire day canning peaches or making pies for the freezer. That was something my mom has always been amazing in the kitchen. And she passed that down to my sister and I. So canning and pickling, there's an art form to it. And it's always been something that when I do it at home, even now, it reminds me of my childhood a lot and always puts a big smile on my face. That is so great. And, you know, you are passing those skills and that knowledge down to your son. And hopefully he's able to carry on that tradition long after, you know, he's left the farm or if he's on the farm still, passing those skills on to the next generation is super important because I know for me, Canning and pickling is something that I have not done a lot of myself. I expanded my garden this year to, and uh, had, you know, the ex excess of produce that we weren't able uh, to use right away. So I was able to do kind of some simple like fridge pickling and that kind of thing. So there, the thing is, our access to knowledge now of doing things differently than let's say our mothers or grandmothers did. There's so many different ways of doing things now. And we have that access on the internet to be able to share and do all of these things. So I just think it's really neat for folks like yourself to have that passion and the knowledge that you are able to share with other people. So bravo to you for continuing to do all of these things that carry on traditions from your family, as well as teaching other people to be more self-sufficient and to be able to use what they have to be able to feed their family, no matter if they're on a farm or if they're not on a farm. So tell us more about how you're marketing your farm and your produce and your products to your local community. Our marketing, for the most part, is either word of mouth or social media. Very little of it is paid marketing at this point. 
we try and reach as local as we possibly can. So yes, we have people that will travel an hour, two hours to come to our farm and to see us or to purchase from us. But we try and keep it very, very generalized. There is a lot of small farms out there that are trying to do the same thing. And we ask people to support them as well as much as possible. And we can only house so many lane hens and so many meat chickens and so many sheep. So we aren't able to do like be able to feed the entire province or the entire central Alberta area. We know that. So we try and keep everything super central and word of mouth has been a giant asset to us. And we've been very grateful that we've made some great connections that have been able to get our name out to a lot of areas. We have also teamed up with other local businesses in our areas. So one of the things that we do for all of our products is we actually deliver them every week. So what we've done is we've teamed up with several local businesses in the Edmonton area And we have taken on one in the Calgary area as well. So that what we can do is we can drop off the products that people purchase online on our website. We drop it off at that small local business. So when our customer comes in, they have the ability to pick up their item, but then also support another small business while they're there as well. So it kind of is all about sharing the love of our customer base and really keeping things as local as possible. That is such a great idea. And it's a useful resource to have, right, to have these connections with your local community and in bigger urban centers and being able to team up with people. Because like you said, you're not able to feed the masses. You are able to feed your community and some others around the province. And being able to drop your things off at a location for other people to come and pick up. And I know for myself, when I've done that, where I've had to go pick up from a local business, it's likely that I'm going to look around and purchase something from there as well. So being able to support other local businesses is super important. And especially in, you know, the last two years where things have been super uncertain with local laws and if things can be open or not open and ensuring that everyone is safe, Just continuing to support local businesses has been, you know, something that has been top of mind, I know, to a lot of people. And hopefully that trend continues. Yes, agreed. So, Carrie, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Oh, that's a tough one. There's a lot of aspects that I truly love about the farming life. Probably the most rewarding would be watching lambing take place. That is one in itself. It's truly a magical experience to watch these animals that you've cared for bring new life into the farm and there's a purpose involved and that you can assist them and the trust the animal gives you is just amazing And the next best thing would be just community sharing, being able to share that with people. We can enjoy it as much as we want on the farm, but being able to share it alongside with your community is pretty spectacular. I couldn't agree more. Those are both great points. Carrie, it has been so wonderful getting to chat with you. Is there anything that you wanted to leave the listeners with that I haven't asked you? I guess just take a peek on figuring out who we are and 
check out our social media and see what we're all about. For the listeners who would like to connect with you online, where can they find you? How can they connect with you? We are on Facebook and on Instagram and our handle is at Little Riley Farms. That's L-I-L-R-Y-L-E-Y Farms. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Fantastic. Carrie, thank you again so much for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman Podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer Podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.